My name's Buffalo Bill and you're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance FM. to the bike show here on Resonance FM with me, Jack Thurston. And me, Jen Kerrison. It's a dark, cold November evening, Jen. It is. It's glorious outside there, actually. I just rode down here and it was beautiful, but yes, very dark. Well, last week, Jen was flying solo here in the studio because I was away for a spot of winter cycle touring up in Yorkshire. Have you ever ridden a bike in Yorkshire, Jen? No. In fact, I don't know that I've ever even been to Yorkshire yet, but I must put it on my list. It's very nice to have you back, Jack. (laughs) You must go to Yorkshire. Um, And if you do, make sure your bike has got some pretty low gears because it is super hilly up there. Um, I rode over the moors from Sheffield to the town of Nelson over the border in Lancashire um, as I had an appointment to visit Paradise, a very old and venerable name in British cycling. For the past 80 years, Caradice have been producing canvas saddlebags and much else besides. So Nelson is your archetypal northern mill town, just out of the adverts, basically, the Hovis adverts, all back-to-back cottages, cobblestone oh, streets. sounds lovely. Yeah, well, down one of those cobblestone yards is an old factory building with a bright red door. David Chadwick owns and runs the company and over a coffee in his office I asked him to tell me a bit more about the building where the bags are made. This building is a two-storey traditional stone mill building probably about 120 years old. Caradice has only been in it for the last 35 years though. Caradice has been in Nelson though for over 80 years in about three or four different locations but but always in the in this area uh, Nelson used to be the number one cotton producing town in the world 
and had uh, massive mills. Sadly, most of those have gone. Uh, so there's quite a lot of these buildings around, some derelicts and being redeveloped. So it's quite nice that we, we're making a, a cotton product in what was a, a cotton mill. How did Paradise come into being? We don't know the exact date, but we know it was uh, a man called Wilf Caradice. Uh, he worked in a, a cotton mill. And like many people in that age, at the weekends, they used to take their bikes and go into the countryside, which is quite a lot of it around here, into the Dales, to the Pennines. And he started to make some canvas bags for himself and then for his friends. Uh, I used to do it at weekends and used to do it in his mum's back bedroom. And eventually that became a trade and he set up his own business. He then quickly... um, expanded into anything outdoor he sold tents uh, which he also made uh, sleeping bags uh, primer stoves anything to do with, with kind of traveling and camping um, he rationalized the, the range later on and we've got old brochures going back to the 1930s so we, we know that he was well established then so that's one we can confidently say it's you know 80 plus years old and then when Wolf was too old to carry on and wanted to retire, my father um, bought the business from him in nine, mid-1970s. At that point, it was really the saddlebags and the cycle luggage that, that were still going. When my father and mother took over, they uh, used a nude material at the time, which was nylon, and, uh, and they created some lighter weight bags. Uh, and they they took off at that time and they also introduced things like reflective strips the nylon and then later cordura bags uh, sold in in great volume then you got the cheaper imports from Far East uh, that were using similar materials um, and many people and many local manufacturers outsourced there we kind of stuck to our guns here and, and, and did what we did best I came on the scene about 15 years ago it might be longer now. I haven't totted it up recently, <laughs> and uh, the business was, was, was doing okay. Um, I think we were in a recession at the time. The the cotton duck bags were, were a, st- a stable element, but not not taking off, and some ranges probably slowly kind of dropping in volume. What we've done in the meantime is um, reinvigorate the canvas saddle bags. About five years ago, the, the, the company was probably kind of bumping along, uh, but in the last five to six years, it, uh, it's gone from strength to strength. There's been a um, obviously an interest in, in cycling, as an interest in things made in Britain, as an interest in um, kind of retro-made bags as well. So there's, uh, there's been a lot of positive going into it and uh, we've kind of uh, done well out of that, really. There's a real association between the saddlebag and British cycling isn't there whereas you know you go on the continent and people have got the handlebar bags what do you think it is about British cyclists that like the saddlebag I I don't know it is very it is very British very idiosyncratically British as well Um, we're so slowly trying to um, educate the world in the into the wonders of saddlebags though and uh, certainly you know the US and Japan uh, are really taking it on and uh, they like the product and they like the Englishness of it as well and functionally what are the advantages do you think? functionally the weight is uh, centred 
uh, where the body mass is really so when you're uh, out of the saddle you haven't got um, the kind of tail wagging the dog um, and, it, and it sits behind you so it's fairly aerodynamic as well and um, you don't need to put a pannier rack on uh, and load up in that way so, you, the, so the weight's nice and tight behind you uh, accessible and fairly simple really so let's talk a little bit more detail about the the cotton, the canvas, the cotton duck, this material that, that you're so well known for. Where does it start its life? Right, well, the cotton starts its life in, in usually like Pakistan or Bangladesh where it's grown. Um, it will go to a local mill there and get made into grey loom state. Um, and then it comes over to England uh, to a factory that we've used for many decades uh, about 20 miles away and they will do the specialist finishing and dyeing and, and proofing and the particular type we use is called cotton duck and that, that describes a very tight square weave uh, and it's a weave that's very very strong I don't know the origin of, of, of why it's duck but it's, it's the weave you know, you've got twill and you've got duck and you've got oxford and this describes a weave and oh i know it is it's a, a tight square weave i mean the army traditionally used it for kind of water buckets and and canvas kind of jeep covers etc and it's got not lots of natural properties in terms of shedding water and fiber swelling um, as well as the natural starches in it there are also kind of anti-rotting agents added and some uh, and waxing as well just to help it and it's very it's very good um, material in that it's very uh, UV resistant that's why you see lots of old bags because they don't really go away <laughs> um, they, they last a long time with man-made fibres they do eventually break down under sunlight so how many people do you employ has that evolved over the time of the last 30 years well when i joined 15 years ago we probably had about 10 or 11 and we've got 18 now the main tasks are sewing that's probably half the people here are, are machinists uh, which is quite a skilled job what we do here we don't train people just to do one job and then pass it on we train them to make a whole bag and then the other tasks are laying up material cutting it out uh, stamping leather straps out, um, sorting out the um, boxes of, of accessories and buckles, etc., so that the machinists can use them. Uh, and then there's the packing and inspecting and riveting as well, as well as dispatch. And how long does that construction process take for the machinist for a typical saddlebag? Um, if you take something like a barley, uh, I mean, it does vary between machinists, some, some are more experienced than others. Um, you're probably talking about half an hour to three quarters an hour to do one bag. As a manufacturing company based in the UK, you're one of a dwindling band. How does that feel? It sometimes becomes difficult, actually, to get raw materials because there's less and less people manufacturing, so there's less and less people servicing those manufacturers. So it does become a struggle to, and you do have to kind of hunt out your, your suppliers sometimes. Um, in terms of uh, how do we feel, I mean, we, we take pride in what we do, um, and we take pride that we sell it all around the world, uh, and that people kind of really kind of get into the paradise story. Um, but it's, it's not easy, but you have to kind of 
pick your markets really there's no point in trying to go down on price because that's not what we're about we're about quality and we're about niche and we're about design and did you ever consider relocating production to the uh Far East? No, because I wouldn't have a job really. (laughs) No, no, we're a bit like a family here really, Um, and there's a responsibility there. Uh, And I think if we'd done something like that, we would have sold the Caradice brand down the river really. It's it's something I think people hold quite dear that, that Caradice is. It's made, still made, and you know. Sometimes I think I should run factory tours here because people come in and they wonder that it's actually, this is what happens. You know, people physically put things together and make things. Well, that seemed like a good moment for me to ask David to take me out of his office and show me around the factory floor. So this is the cutting table where we lay up all the material in a big long line uh, and, and make it kind of 10, 15, 20 layers thick. And then we'll draw with white pencil on top of that the pattern, which is most efficient to reduce the waste. And then with the mobile knife, we will we'll cut out all the shapes um, and then put all the shapes together per model. What we're cutting out here at the moment is not cotton duck, but it is cotton. It's the it's for the ponchos, the wax cotton ponchos. And then over there, we've then got the leather press. And that will cut out all the leather straps uh, and also some plastic parts, but mainly leather. Okay, so over here we've got the, the two sewing benches. They will have their own sewing machine each, where they'll do the majority of the sewing, but there are some specialist machines. Uh, this one here is for binding, that's for edging all the, the, the seams uh, to stop them from fraying. There's one over there which is specialist in, in sewing squares for the straps. Um, over here we've got the riveting bench for riveting the corner patches on and uh, the protective plates on the back. So all the machinists are surrounded by kind of boxes uh, on wheels. Uh, that's right, yeah. That's little, uh, um, that are sort of filled with various things. Trucks, yeah. They're, they're the trucks that carry the work. Once they've sewn up the bags, they'll put them into these trucks uh, and then uh, we'll wheel them over to... The, the riveting bench to get finished off then they'll get wheeled over over there to the packing bench where they'll get a final inspection and, and packed and the labels added etc and, and put protective packaging on then they get sent down the conveyor downstairs where all the storage is and they wait for dispatch and there's a lot of um, cast iron and, and wood that, that bench there, the majority of that bench is a, is a cast iron frame which was from the original sewing bench with the original kind of um, shaft-driven uh, sewing machines, which had scarily big needles, they were like six-inch nails. There's some older machines over here as well by the, the leather cutting bench. Some more uh, leather cutting machines here, and these are, these are one of my favourite machines because uh, you make your leather straps from these. This one puts a slot in for the buckle, and this one puts the point on the end of the strap, and this one, when you turn the handle. The, uh, the holes in for the buckle strap and we get a fantastic view of Pendle Hill right over the, the old mill tops there the, those are the old weaving sheds split into a couple of units but we can look right over to Pendle Hill there um, right over the top of the canal 
you can tell me He walks on, doesn't look back He pretends he can't hear her Stop the whistle as he crosses the street Seems embarrassed to be there Oh, blink twice Cause it's another day for you and me in paradise Oh, think twice Cause it's another day for you You and me in paradise Just think about it Les, and he's, he's cutting out um, straps for buckling out of uh, chrome leather. So he's swinging this, this heavy arm over uh, and applying a two-ton pressure to this, uh, this knife, which will then cut out these, these shapes for buckling. And then he'll arrange them into boxes ready for the machinists. So this is Chris and he's putting rivets into the bars on the back of panniers. Uh, these are the welded panniers, so he's lining it up, sticking them on there. Self-piercing tubular rivet backed by a washer. So he'll place a washer on the anvil and get the backing inside the, the bag and then uh, line up the riveter and rivet the plate onto the bag and the washer will be on the back of it. One of the benefits of uh, being around so long in this industry is that you, you do get to see you know, bags come back that are worn and so you, you get to know where the, the wear points are and what works and what doesn't and then you can evolve products that, that are better over the years. So do people who buy a bag who find it has a problem tend to send it back and do you sort of deal with that and, and fix it for them? Oh yeah, any, any bag that's got a problem you know, we sort it out but you, you get stuff that I've got one by my desk at the moment must be 40 years old and uh, one, of the, one of the leather straps has gone not really a, a fault as such it's just just worn out but um, you just you can just look at the bag and just see where where all the stress points are really and where the wear points are and then you can design your bag so that you know these are protected this is Kelly she's sewing um, some TSR Pashley rack bags out of cotton duck so this is a special product we do just for, for Molten Stroke Pashley. So it's a nice, nice tie-up we have with another, another heritage brand. So you can see how it's not a very easy uh, material to handle because it's very very stiff so there's a lot of pulling and stretching and folding um, and, and fighting with the material really to, to get it into shape <laughs> tell us what you're um, what you're up to really what i'm making i'm making standard ponchos in duck's back green at the minute i'm making the storm covers which cover the zip at the front we're going to put a little caradas label in we do everything all on a slow basis so that everything's accurate and we have all the parts in a little box. We create the whole thing. So it goes straight from us to the packing table. Everything's not passed about. It's the whole complete product that's made by one person. And so how long have you been working here? Oh, it was 20 years ago when I started here. 
And how was it when you began learning uh, the, how, how to do it all? Not much different to how it is now. It's just done all the traditional way. Yeah, everything's just how it was done when the firm first set up. In terms of your own uh, skills and learning how to do it, was it difficult in, at, at the beginning? It's very difficult, very, very difficult. You need a skilled machinist to do this job. A lot of patience, it takes a lot of time. There's a lot of different products and it can take best part of 18 months to teach somebody how to do this job. And so how do you make that balance between speed and accuracy? It's slow first. It's not speed, it's slow and accuracy. The speed comes naturally by people repeating themselves. Constantly doing the same thing over and over and over naturally makes people faster. But it's accuracy first. It sounds like you've got a fair bit of pride in, in the products Absolutely. that you're making. Absolutely, I'm passionate about this job. There's nobody more passionate than me about this job. <laughs> they all laugh at me. <laughs> it's true. Oh, there's no machine, there's no machine, a friend in need. If I didn't have my sewing machine, a wicked life I'd lead. But a bobbin' a bobbin' a pedal a pedal and dream about romance. So by night I feel so weary that I never get out to dance. Just signing her labels here. She's got um, her Made in England labels and she signs everyone individually. It's almost like an autograph. <laughs> but they quite often get postcards from, from users and a little note sent in thanking them for, for making the bags. Mm. Has that always been the way? No, uh, I started it about 10 years ago when I thought, well, maybe we should be pushing the fact that we are still here in England, still making the bags, still handcrafting them. And uh, probably one of the best decisions I've done, actually. <laughs> I think 10 years ago, people just wanted something that was, you know, cheap, the cheapest. Um, and they weren't really bothered where it was made. But I think things have gone kind of full circle now. And people kind of reminisce and, uh, and, and value the heritage of, of brands and, and are thankful that they're, they're still around and not sold out. Um, and, and that has got a value on it now. And certainly you see it when you go abroad. I mean, I think my eyes were open when I went to the US and, and you know, we'd not exported there before, but there was lots of enthusiasts who knew about, knew about Carrot Ice and loved the product. And I think they appreciated it more than quite a lot of our, our domestic customers. But now I think they're catching them too. I suppose a critic could say that you stuck with the, the black cotton duck and the white buckles for a long, long time and suddenly you've kind of seen the light and have gone for a green one or a brown one. Why did it take so long? I think it's probably numbers, critical mass, I think, because uh, I think for a long time it was only worth buying because we have to buy in 1,000 metres of cotton duck at a time. It's very kind of capital intensive. Can't really afford to do lots of, two lots of stock holding. But now the numbers have grown, we, we can afford to do two colours. And who knows, we might do a third colour, you never know. <laughs> and so are you on an upward trajectory in terms of production? Yes, we are. Uh, but it's not something we can just snap our fingers to. Uh, a lot of the job's quite specialist. Um, you can't just put a, an advert in the job centre and, and employ someone tomorrow. We have to get people in. It takes minimum six months on the sewing side to, to get up 
to speed and in the meantime they're you know we're producing a lot of substandard work so you have to kind of take that hit really but um we we are on an upward curve and we are at full capacity and trying to increase capacity so it's all good news at the moment well thanks to david chadwick and all the staff at paradise for their very warm welcome and for showing me around the factory there are some pictures from my visit and I'll put a link to those on the bike show's website www.thebikeshow.net Jen it's a good news story isn't it that something is still being made in the UK and they're ramping up production it's really lovely to hear actually that in this current cl- in, that in this current climate that things are on the upswing for them it's really wonderful to hear I guess Caradice are one of a fairly small number of British based bike manufacturing uh, companies or bike paraphernalia manufacturing mm. companies i'm thinking of brooks and, and moltons yeah um I, brompton brompton of course yeah i don't know Pashley. do yeah. they do yeah they... Pashley's still making in stratford upon avon right actual paraphernalia well no and bikes oh bikes, of make course. The bikes yeah but um the actual making the the bags and whatnot i don't yeah, know who else no, no. is doing it david mentioned that Carrymore, which used to be based down the road in Accrington, um, they sold their name off, and I don't know if anything is made by uh, Carrymore, but um, certainly not made in the UK by Carrymore. Yeah, right. That's a shame, isn't it? Yeah, I guess if there's anyone out there that knows of anyone, let us know. Because yeah, we want to the- know the, le- the, the we want to build the Hall of Fame of um, British bicycle manufacturing. Um, there have been audio tours of the Brompton factory and I guess the Moulton two-parter and the uh, Brooks factory previously on the bike show. I've never made it to Pashley. You fancy that, that one, Jen? Yeah, absolutely. I was just on their website today, actually. We should definitely take a trip out there, I yeah, think. Yeah. No, it's. I, I don't know whether the whole retro thing is... a passing fad what do you reckon or or do you think that people are just interested in provenance and quality and that's here to stay i don't know jack i wonder uh, retro seems to be a passing thing but what is retro seems to be a passing thing as well doesn't it so people seem to be interested in uh whatever is of a generation or two before with with all sorts of fashion so possibly in 20 years we'll be after the things that we're using we'll now be after the knackered old nylon that's uh, perished in the uv light absolutely yes so i think that i think that it is passing but i think it's repeating as well would you be convinced to put a cotton canvas saddle bag on the back of your uh, carbon fiber bicycle that's parked outside the studio you know i'm pretty convinced actually to get myself a different bicycle it's a bit a bit of a difficult ride in winter that bike but yeah absolutely i'm i'm all about it now <laughs> all about all about the cotton duck that's right <laughs> well that's about it for this week on the show next week we're going to be talking bicycling books Tim Dawson, uh, cycling columnist on the Sunday Times, will be joining us. Tim has been on the show before, previewing and reviewing books. He maintains the excellent Cycling Books website, which is the place to go to find out about what's new and what's worth looking up in your second-hand 
bookshop in the cycling line. Have you read any good books lately on cycling? Not any cycling ones, though, although I was given one by uh, Mike Cavanagh from the LCC recently on sea cycling. You better get boned up for next week. (laughs) Because we're going to be, if you're not talking about, if you don't, haven't got a book to to flog. Right, that's it. I'll have one ready to review. (laughs) All right. Okay, well, that's it. From me, Jack Thurston. And me, Jen Kerrison. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you.